This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 433. So there are dozens of potential opportunities. When I look at someone's book, I think about it in terms of how can you market this book to get it out into the world and how can you market with this book to generate business? Beyond technology, software, social media networks, even advertising and marketing campaigns, the biggest and best tool you'll ever have in your belt is a book with your name on the cover. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where each and every week I sit down with another successful and inspiring author, and we chat about his or her latest book and their unique insights on a number of topics today, that topic being writing your book. In fact, you must write a book, says Honoré Quarter. She's kind of demanding that way. That's the name of her book. You must write a book, boost your brand, get more business, and become the go-to expert. I'll ask Honoré about some of the more common excuses she's heard from folks about not writing a book, what to do before you sit down to write, her advice for effectively launching and marketing your book, and much more. I sat down numerous times over the years to write my own book, and oftentimes that process began by staring at a blank page or a blank screen. And it wasn't until I reconciled the concept that when I sit down to create something, including writing a book, really 80% of the work should already be done. How is that possible? Well, it's all in how you capture, organize, and distill the notes you create from the content you consume, from the research you're doing as a part of your everyday efforts anyway. Rather than having notes all over the place or realizing that those notes are in a state that don't really do you a whole lot of good, what if instead capturing and collecting the notes you want to keep was almost effortless? The ability to organize your notes and connect new ideas with old ideas was seamless. The notes you come to each and every day are useful to you now because they've been distilled, they've been processed prior to now, meaning that creating with those notes now becomes Super simple. It's just a matter of connecting one note to the next. Well, it is possible, and it's what you learn in my note-making mastery cohort. It's a five-week live class, the next of which is happening each Tuesday in August, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. To find out more about this next cohort or future cohorts, get on the notifications list. You can do that by going to readtoleadpodcast.com slash list and adding your name and email address there. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash list to get on the notifications list for the next note-making mastery cohort. Finally, put an end to all the frustration you currently experience with managing your notes. readtoleadpodcast.com slash list. Honoré Quarter is the author of dozens of books, including Vision to Reality, Prosperity for Writers, and Business Dating, a book that I interviewed her about just a few months ago right here on the show. I'll put a link to the show notes on that. She is the co-creator also of the Miracle Morning book series. The book we're diving into today is one that originally came out in 2016, I believe, called You Must Write a Book, Boost Your Brand, Get More Business, and Become the Go-To Expert. Honoré, welcome back to the Read to Lead podcast. I am so honored to be with you. Thank you, Jeff. 
Well, we were just talking in the um, green room a moment ago about <laughs> how uh, many people uh, you talk to kind of uh, are in this mindset of what a book does and doesn't do for them. Why do you so strongly believe that writing a book is the single best thing you can do for your business? Well, I'm actually going to say that the single best thing you can do for your business is like win an Olympic gold medal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to check that off. <laughs> but most of us normal humans don't have the opportunity to do that. And so I'm going to say that our best shot at establishing credibility, establishing ourselves as the authority, boosting our brand, boosting our name and face recognition, generating more business, all of those important things that really move the needle for the size of our business, the impact of our business financially is writing a book. What do you say to someone who says to you, well, I don't really make any money from that. You know, it's, it's, it's a loss leader, if you will. I would say, tell that to Uncle Sam, <laughs> because I, I get a tally of royalties and then I get a bill on said royalties and, and it's never zero. Um, in all seriousness, I would say that the majority of authors do not make money from their books. Mm. Uh, the average number of books I've heard that it's two different ones, right? And all facts are made up on the spot, right? 86% of all facts and figures are made up on the spot. Isn't that the river? <laughs> Out of all the books published, some sell millions and some sell four, right? And the average of all books published is somewhere between 250 and 500. And that does not seem as though it would be favorable for authors to make money from their books. However, I happen to make money for my books and I am not by a long shot the only one. It is in incredibly possible absolutely possible and probable with the right plan and execution of publishing the book and then marketing the book for the book to make money from royalties. And then there are all of the opportunities to earn uh, income by marketing with your book. And I want to talk about some of those in just a minute. But first, sure. I want to ask about some of the excuses you've heard uh, from others for not writing a book. What, what are some of the more common ones and how would you go about yeah. refuting those excuses for someone who just feels like it's not worth the effort? Sure. So th the excuses are it takes an awful lot of time to write a book and they're not wrong. Right. If it takes you a year to write your manuscript, it's still going to pass that year. And yet you will wake up a year from now without a book unless you get started. Mm -hmm expecting to take the time that it takes, putting in the time that it takes and enjoying the, the process, right? Enjoying the ride, right? We're in the dash. We were born and then we die and we're in the dash. And so what you do with the dash is what is important. A book is an opportunity to leave behind a legacy. And I think if someone reframes how they look at the process of writing a book and the day-to-day production of the book and then the actual production of the book. That's all part of the process. If you look at it from the end view, the vision, oh, at some point I'm going to have a book. I'm going to sign the book. I'm going to impact lives with the book. It could reframe the procrastination or the lack of belief that it's going to do anything for them. Now, before you sit down to actually do the writing, what would you say needs to be squared away? Like what, what ducks need to be in a row before we sit down to do the actual writing? This is actually, I think, my favorite question because it is so important 
that there is forethought and planning and intention put into a book. And so often I will get a call from someone who says, I'm all done with my manuscript or I'm 80% done with my manuscript. And I say, are you? What <laughs> <laughs> are you? I don't know that you are. Let me ask you a few questions. So I'll share the questions that I ask of someone when we're talking about a book project. The first one is, what is in it for you? Mm. What do you want from the book? This is not the time to be humble or altruistic. You are not going to save the turtles. <laughs> you are. We are not going to change You know the world. Mm. What is it that you want from the book? Do you want to boost your brand, get more business, become the go-to expert, create an additional stream of income, raise your profile, become the expert in let's say dog walking, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I'm not taking anyone's platform. I want to be the known as the dog walking expert, the dog training expert. And I want all people who want to train dogs or walk dogs to come through me. So if you own that and you say, this is what I want to be. So I want to be the Dave Ramsey of gardening or something, right? So you take a platform that someone has created and, and, and you say, I want that for this area of expertise. That is one of the things to to get squared away before you start. It's like, what is your long-term vision and intention? And then once you have that answered, and you're again, you're not being humble. Right. If anything, please think big, you know, do a hair flip, like <laughs> dream big. Like if you're seven, if you ask a seven-year-old, what do you want to do? They're like, I want to be Tom Brady and I'm going to own the football team and I'm going to be the quarterback and the coach and I'm going to give bubblegum to every one of the fans, right? Like they think much bigger than we're taught to just say, oh no, I'm going to save like four turtles with my royalties <laughs> because I'm not going to make any money. So please, by all means, expand your vision hmm. and own that. And once that is crystallized and you can see it like it's a like it's a movie, right? Mm -hmm. Then you downshift into the the reader centric questions before you get back to the author centric questions. So the reader centric questions are what do you want the reader to do? And we're talking about you must write a book. So I'll just use that as the example. I want every reader to write a book. I'm very bossy. You must write a book. It's very clear, mm -hmm. which is a hint to how to do a book title. Right. And right. I want everyone to write a book. And then the second question is, what do you want the reader to not do? Okay. I don't want someone to rush through the process and write a crappy book that doesn't do what their vision is. Mm. We're not going to buy our own football team and be quarterback if we sell four books to our mother. <laughs> right? So I don't want people to write and publish a crappy book and not fulfill their vision. And then we go back to a combo or we go to a combo of the reader and author with this next question, which is what do you want the right reader to do? And by right reader, I don't mean there's a wrong reader. I mean, there's an ideal client or prospective client or probable purchaser reader, someone who right. might possibly become your client if they understand the value you provide. What do you want the right reader to do? And generally speaking, it is whatever your area of expertise is. So if you are writing a book on, let's say you're a mortgage broker and you're writing a book for real estate agents to help them to finance their buyers, and you've written a book on reverse mortgages, you ultimately want their clients to come and get their reverse mortgage through you. Right. So the right reader would say, yes, I need a reverse mortgage. Yes, I understand Jeff is, is my guy. And yes, I'm going to go hire him because here he is. He's right here. 
Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Yeah. And yeah. let's, well, then that bleeds right directly into the actual writing process itself. Um, so when you get stuck here, it's easy to stare at a blank page yeah. or a blank screen and go, what do I do? <laughs> How do I begin? Sure. What are some things we keep uh, to keep in mind once, once the writing uh, begins and then to make sure that we don't uh, falter or lose any steam, I guess. I like to start when I'm writing and I, in the writing world, if you're a writer, you will often have conversations with other writers and they will ask you, are you a plotter? In other words, do you plan what you're going to write? Are you a pantser? You just sit down and just write whatever you want to write, see where it goes. Or are you a planter, which is a cross between a plotter and a pantser? And I'm a planter. I'm someone who sits down and writes an outline. And my outline consists of questions. I start with the questions that people ask me. Questions like what you're asking me. What are my ducks? What do I need to do? What are my ducks I need to get in a row before I write my book? I start with the questions that that are logically asked. This is what common sense would say. I want to start a podcast. What do I need to know to start a podcast? What kind of equipment do I need? Who do I need to talk to? How do I do distribution? Right? The logical questions. And then there are the second tier questions, which are the questions that they don't know to ask because they don't have your experience. And so there are lots of things that are those second tier questions that the second tier information Mm. that as experts we have, we didn't have before. That's helpful to add in there. So craft questions such as what's metadata and why do I need it? Mm. <laughs> Most people go metadata when it comes to books. I don't know what that means. What did she just say? Is this, is this podcast in English? <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And then there are the questions that you don't know that you don't know. You just simply have no awareness because you've never been exposed to this information. Right. And When my family was moving from Texas to Tennessee, we had rented an apartment in a building to kind of get the lay of the land. And we were told before we came up here that the building was under construction. It wasn't quite ready. Could we slow our roll? Yes, we stayed in, you know, where we were for a a couple of months. And then we finally got the go ahead. I called and I said, look, you know, we're ready to come. Can we come up there? Is it time? And the gal said, sure, come on up. We're going to be ready for you in two weeks. And so we show up in two weeks with our six-week-old puppy, Mm. three adults, three cars full of stuff, ready to move in, everything. And we go into the office and the woman says, okay, so here are your keys. We're going to have to take the stairs because the elevator's not working. Oh, (laughs) I thought that the elevator wasn't working that day or that morning. Yeah. Elevators weren't ready. The elevators weren't ready for three weeks. You ever had a puppy that's not quite trained? Yeah. How do you like going up and down five flights of stairs (laughs) all day long, every day? So I didn't even know to ask the question, Mm. is everything ready in the building for it to be occupied by humans and dogs? Mm. Is the dog park ready? (laughs) It wasn't even on my radar. I would never move into another building again without saying, how livable is it? Do you have your elevator certificate? (laughs) And those are the questions that your reader, your eventual reader would just not have any idea that they need to think about. Mm, So true. Uh, and assuming we're, we're self-publishing, I know you're a big fan of self-publishing. Uh, you've self-published, I think, all of your books. What are, what are some of the key roles that we need to be prepared to outsource? I think some of them may be obvious, but I think there are plenty that we, again, we don't know what we don't know. Right. We don't know what we don't know for sure. Um, Assuming you're writing your book, then you would be the writer of the book. Mm -hmm. And assuming you are not 
a graphic designer, you will need one of those. Um, someone who's for whom their job is that job. That's how I know, right? Yeah. So I don't just say someone who's like a hobbyist. I want someone who gets up in the morning and that's their job. Here's another test. It's in the little box on their tax return. What do you do for a living? Graphic designer, book cover specialist, subcategory, right? right. Because not all graphic designers can do book covers. So you'll need to outsource your design your cover design and your interior design of your book. You'll need to have an editorial process, depending upon how skilled you are as a writer. You'll want to have one, two, or three passes of different kinds of editing. And then you're going to need to have a proofreader. You're going to need to have a copywriter. And those are the basic team members that you need. And then you may need some ancillary services if you want to do public relations, right? If you want to right. do marketing, if you want to do social media, um, there are some other folks that you might want to have on your team. But just for the book production conversation, it's interior design, cover design, editorial process, and copywriting. So your editing and your proofreading fall under the editorial I know there are houses that uh, provide all those services under a single roof or many of them. Is, is that something you do in your business? Do you provide some or all of these services to individuals? On the rare occasion for the correct someone, I do. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I'm not, I'm not a house though. I'm not a, like a, a, a hybrid publisher or a right. traditional publisher. I am more of a consultant and handle all of the details for someone while guiding them to establish or craft out of an entity that they already have their own publishing house themselves. So they retain all of the ownership and I just handle the process. Gotcha. Well, you say there's almost no reason to attempt the traditionally published route, almost no reason to, to, to worry about that. Right. Uh, so, so why not traditional publishing? What do you have against traditional publishing? I don't actually have anything against traditional publishing. As a matter of fact, when I publish my books, and when I publish books for my clients, I use the standard that traditional publishing has set as the standard. I want to be as good as traditional publishing in that the look, feel, and read of the book is indistinguishable from traditional publishing. My goal is to make it better because as indie authors, we have optimization ability. We have the ability to optimize and monetize our books. Optimizing meaning we are starting the author-reader relationship instead of the publisher-reader relationship. Mm-hmm. At the end of my book, I say, if you want to know other titles by me, go here and learn more about my titles. If you read any traditionally published book, they're going to say, go to our website and learn more about our other authors, <laughs> right. which is fantastic. That's what they're supposed to do. They're a company. And I understand that as an author, you want to create the author reader relationship. Mm. You want to have that right reader say, Jeff, where have you been all my life? You're hired. <laughs> right. I'm going to take right. your course. I'm going to bring you in to speak. You're my guy. Right. Here, let's let's work together. Um, and then the monetization piece, which is turning that book into other income streams or generating business. We have that opportunity as indie authors. The right person to go to traditional publishing, in my opinion, is someone who has a household name. They already are well established and they, quite frankly, don't have the interest in hiring someone or handling all of their own details. So mm-hmm. they would delegate all of that and probably get an unrecoupable advance because the publishing company knows they're going to make money. Right. Keep in mind that if a publishing company wants to sign an author, 
they're looking at it as a business proposition. They know that the author is going to make them money. And so if you can publish another way and retain all of your rights and your royalties and the content control and the and the creative control, why would you not do that and then right. recoup all of the benefits, right? So in my mind, there's a very small sliver of people that really do benefit from traditional publishing, but that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of people who traditionally publish all the time and they're very happy with that process and they feel like they're getting the right, you know, give for the take. Right. And so right. that's just my perspective on it. I'm an, a business person. I run the numbers and I also want to retain the ability to do that optimization and the monetization. Right. And so those numbers are the numbers that are not considered when someone does traditional publishing. Sometimes they just don't know to consider that. Or they're just thinking, I'll just publish my book and that will get me what I want. Mm. I'm not going to worry so much about the money, the income from my book. I'm going to focus on what my book is going to do for my income right? in a different way. But what you're saying is you can have your cake and eat it too in a lot of ways. And that self-publishing, you're taking 70%. Of, of of the sale where with yes. with traditional publishing it might be uh, maybe you get 20 25 30 percent 12 12 the publisher gets the rest and so let's talk about then okay now you've published the book but then there's all these opportunities to leverage what you've created in a multitude of ways how have you been able to do that uh, not only yourself but help your clients do that effectively yeah so I look at the I look at a book in terms of where it fits into my business as a whole. So if we look at you must write a book, you must write a book, sells books, I sell that book. Mm. There's a workbook that goes with it. So I'm just going to walk you through this, mm. this, uh, this line, not because it's about me, but to help people who are listening to think about what a book can do. So when right. you write a nonfiction book, very often you're providing either ways to avoid pain or gain pleasure. If you're providing a process for people to follow, you then could do a companion guide, a companion workbook, a journal, something that goes along with it. I did that with, I must write my book workbook. One book became then two books. Mm. Then I started getting calls from people who would say, gosh, I'd like to learn more about that. And then I created a publishing course. So now I've taken the book and how to workbook and then how to course to go along with it. And then there was another course after that. And now I'm putting another course in the middle of those two. And then I have a mastermind. So you can see where there one book that's just published where I've retained all the rights gave me the opportunity to think about it in terms of what I could do mm. with income streams, also to execute. When you go through different types of publishing options, sometimes they say, no, 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 you you don't get to decide anything. You don't decide right. the title. You don't decide how long it is. You don't write. So just with self-publishing, with great gifts comes great responsibility, right? So you have to execute and have the time and the money and and the energy to execute it, right? Whereas traditional publishing, they say, thank you for your manuscript. Have a nice day. We'll see you in 18 months and you'll be an author. Congratulations, (laughs) right? Just a little bit different of a process, obviously. I was able to listen to opportunities, listen to my creativity and create different income streams to go with it. So there are dozens of potential opportunities. When I look at someone's book, I think about it in terms of how can you market this book to get it out into the world and how can you market with this book to generate business? Because sometimes I wouldn't call the book a loss leader. I would call it the gift you give to a probable purchaser. 
to a prospective buyer and it's your audition. You give them a, a business card and it's a piece of trash. You say, here, will you throw this away for me? <laughs> Your your book can start a conversation. When someone reads your book, they're going to say, gosh, Jeff, this was great. I'd like to have you come and speak to my my audience, my my sales team, right? Right, My executive team, whoever your ideal client is, because that is part of your author-reader relationship. I know you're working on courses. You mentioned a new course coming out soon. Let's talk about that topic specifically, what most people miss with both marketing and and maybe connected to that launching their books. Uh, I don't know if that's too big of a question, but if we can tackle both of those at once, that would be great. Sure. Launching the book is what I like to think of as the warm-up phase of a multi-triathlon. <laughs> so when you so some people think about book launch as the 5 days, the week that their book comes out or the 12 weeks. I have 12 weeks for my book to sink or swim. In traditional publishing circles, you've got about 12 weeks for your book to sink or swim before right. they decide if they're going to keep doing it or they're going to pull it and move on to the next book as a marathon runner. Right. There's this whole, you know, you start carbo loading on Friday night, you go for spaghetti because on Sunday morning, you're going to run the marathon. You're getting prepared for it. The yeah. launch of your book is, in my mind, mentally the beginning of a long journey. So you want to have great snacks and comfortable shoes and be prepared to just put in the time that it takes and have a plan as opposed to just surprise, everyone, my book is here. Mm. Launching the book is a very specific process, In at least as far as I've figured out, in order to have your book find the right readers. Mm. So we go back to what do you want the right reader to do? If you want to connect with the right readers, then your book is not for everyone. Launching mm. your books actually starts with Right after you answer those three questions, you say, then who is that reader? Who is my, I call it the avatar, ideal reader, ideal client, all the same thing. Who is that person and where are they? And everything that I do is to find that reader. So I'm not looking for my book to be bought by everyone. I want my book to be bought by everyone who would benefit from the contents of my book. Mm. That's a different conversation. And marketing is then an extension of that. Where are my readers and how can I connect with them in the ways that are standard, right? The the fundamental ways that you reach readers. And then what are the creative ways that you reach readers? And sometimes that's when the herd is going that way, you go the other direction because if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're going to get what everyone else is getting. And everyone else is getting 200 to 500 books sold. And sometimes you have to pull back a little bit and think, how am I going to get my book in front of people in a creative, meaningful way, authentic way that's going to start that author-reader relationship and keep it going for the long term? Great advice. And thank you for handling such a big question that I threw at you there, kind of combining two questions into one so effortlessly. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, Before I move on to a couple of questions not directly related to the book, anything else from You Must Write a Book that we must know? (laughs) I think my underlying message is it, for anyone who wants to write a book is to feel confident that they can, even if it takes a while, put together a book that is going to fulfill their vision mm. and to take the time that it takes, invest the money that it takes. A, a great books sometimes require 
always require an investment of time and money. And with proper planning and preparation, you can get a multiple return on that investment. Something I wanted to ask you about that I don't often uh, take time to with guests, and that is to get into the nitty-gritty, the specifics of all the ways you come alongside someone in this process. What are the different ways that people can engage with Honoré uh, when it comes to writing and publishing a book and turning that into a huge growth opportunity for their business? Thank you. That's i I. I'm honored by that question and I appreciate it for sure. I have, as I mentioned, the publishing course. So I have a course called Publishing PhD and that takes someone from paper, blank paper, to publish course with a little peek into marketing and turning that book into multiple income streams. There's the third course, which was the second course until I decided to launch the second course, (laughs) is called Building a Million Dollar Book Business. And that is the how-to process for, I think there are 13 income streams that I outline, Mm. provide guidance for, and then marketing materials, checklists, legal documents, right? Everything someone would need to put those income streams in place. The thing I most love to talk about and that people want me to talk about generally is the marketing piece. How have I had my books sold in 39 countries, over 4 million books? Because I study marketing and it's my jam. I love it. And I not only study book marketing, which is a very special niche, I'm always interested in marketing in general and how people are selling anything, how companies are selling anything and pulling from those strategies and seeing if they work for books. So I'm working on and getting ready to launch Book Marketing Mastery. So that will be the second course in the middle. And then as you alluded to earlier and asked about earlier, I do have a bespoke uh, custom publishing service that I provide to between three and 10 authors a year on a limited basis for someone who has, um, as one of my clients said, I have more money than time, Honoré. Take my American Express card and let me know <laughs> when I'm an author. And yeah. he hired a ghostwriter. I work, he worked with the ghostwriter. And then I quarterbacked the book the rest of the way and successfully launched that book. And it's awesome. doing exactly what he wanted a book to do. He just didn't want to do a book. <laughs> <So> <laughs> That's great. That's great. There you go. And honorarequarter.com is the best place to go to, to follow up on yes. that. Awesome. Yes, definitely. I'll put a link in the show notes for that. Since writing my book, uh, one of the questions I get a lot related to reading and just consuming content really of any kind, whether it's podcasts or books or articles or or videos, is on the process of note taking. And and many of us, this has been me, you know, over the years in the past, you know, take a plethora of notes that I never do anything with. uh, Notes that uh, nothing ever becomes of them. They just pile up into notebooks or on Evernote or wherever they end up, or they're all over the place. And I don't know where where anything is or how to find anything or how to connect this note to that note, all that kind of stuff. What are some of your practices, if you haven't, you're willing to share related to this process of taking notes in an effective way such that they're useful to you six months from now, not just never? (laughs) Yes. And I am sure that I need to take your next cohort of note-taking and and execution because I, I think one of my axioms of life is get expert advice and integrate that expert advice as soon as possible. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. My process when I'm reading a nonfiction book that's really helpful to me is the first time I just read it. I just read it. I'm, I'm tempted to highlight everything. I'm tempted yeah. <laughs> to underline and make notes and all of that. And I know repetition is the mother of skill. So for me, the first read is 
zippy because I'm a fast reader. I read a lot of books and I read it. And then I pull out my unending supply of highlighters and pens, colored pens. And I also found clear three by five sticky notes that allow me to make notes on the page, like not mark on the page necessarily, but Hmm. make notes. Okay. The second time I go through the book, I read the book and highlight and underline and make notes in the margins and dog ear and circle page numbers and and star things. I'm really interested in like, what are the action items? Like, what are the action items that I need to take from this book? And then the third time I go through it, I copy them into notebooks. And I have notebooks that I then transcribe into Evernote so that things are theoretically findable. I probably am not alone in the, I'm going to put this here so I know exactly where it's going to be later and I'm never able to find it again because I'm not as smart the second time (laughs) as the first time. I've kind of figured out a filing system to foil myself and thank goodness for tags and hashtags and things like categories and things like that. That's very helpful. I find that I have to read something several times in order for it to really come to the cellular level. Yeah. Like I'm, I used to be a quantity person in terms of like, oh, I want to read a, a million books. I still want to read a million books, not the actual million, but I w- want to read a hundred books a year, 150 books a year. And I do that. However, there are 25 or 30 books or so that I read every year. Mm. And I've read them every year for now, Law of Success by Napoleon Hill, I've read every single year since, I think, 1997. Wow. The year I was born. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if you hadn't laughed, I would believe you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Text in the mail. <laughs> you, yeah. you do at least one thing that most people don't. It sounds like with regard to your, your book notes, at least, they're all eventually ending up in one place. Yes. And, and, and that's huge alone. And just to know that there's one place where everything is and you're not doing like I used to do. And they could be in one of several places. There's just one right. place. And that's such a huge load off the, off the mind for sure. Yes. Well, the book we've been talking about again with Honoré is called You Must Write a Book. Boost your brand, get more business, and become the go-to expert. Her second time on the show, and it won't be her last, I'm sure. Honoré, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you coming by. Love being with you. Thank you so much, Jeff. As always, to connect with Honoré on social media or to follow up with her work via her website and that new course that's coming out soon, You can find links to all those things on the show notes page for this episode. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 433 for episode 433. There you'll also find a link to get on the notifications list for my Note Making Mastery cohort. At the time this episode's being published, you'll have two more opportunities this year to participate, one likely in October, but the next most immediate opportunity is in the month of August. Again, to get on that notifications list, read to lead podcast.com slash list. I hope you find these podcast episodes useful. Thanks for stopping by each and every week. That's going to do it for this week. Hope to see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read.